0: Good morning, church. So good to see people sit all the way right to the back. You know, in our church, we have a practice when we plan the preaching calendar, and our desire is that our sermons get progressively better over the year, and we save the best for the last. So today, they chose me to speak on week one, right? Uh, But it's my privilege today uh, to be standing here because there are certain messages that God gives to us as an individual. And there are certain messages God gives to us as a church or as a family. But today, it's my privilege to bring you a message as we go through our new series, Abide, to bring you a message that we believe God has given to our global movement of every nation. And this message, this series that we will be going through for the next six weeks will be preached all over the world for us to hold on to, to unite us, and align us. Okay, so I want to start us off today by sharing some global trends as we step into the new year and to set a context for the world that we are going to talk about. And I took this trends from the Fjord Report. Fjord is a design and innovation consultancy. And for the past 15 years, every year they are publishing a report which contains social, economic, and digital trends. And I thought some of them are relevant to where we are today. Okay, the first one is this, the rise of individualism. When the pandemic hit, people all over the world started rethinking how they wanted to live their life. They wanted to do things that mattered to them, they enjoyed, they wanted to spend their time better. This led to a phenomenon called the Great Resignation, where 41% of the global workforce considered leaving their job. Now before this, no matter how much you consider, you cannot leave your job because you needed to survive, right? You need to earn a living. But in the world today, we are empowered by so many different technology platforms that allow people to do so, to earn a living as an individual. You have YouTube, you have Twitch TV, where people post their own content, you can sell your art on Etsy, and all these different things. And the side effect is, people are living alone increasingly more, working alone increasingly more, and even more scary, they are thinking more about themselves only. Uh, the me over we mentality. Okay, so this is the first trend. The second trend is this, the end of abundance thinking. For many of us, the past two years is the first time we've seen shortages in our life. We go to the mart, uh, there's no toilet paper, there's no water, there's no canned food. I don't know how many of you do gift exchange in Christmas, and instead of receiving a gift, You receive a piece of paper and the paper says, oh, the gift's on the way. Logistic shortages. It's a huge thing in the world today. Entertainment, cinemas were closed for some time, food massages. If you follow sports, English Premier League matches are being postponed like nobody's business. I follow the NBA very closely and half of the players are constantly in COVID protocols and we just can't see our favorite superstars. And the list just goes on. Uh, Cheap, semiconductor chip shortages, coffee shortages. And for many of us who have always experienced abundance, always gotten what we want with minimal effort, it comes as a big shock. And for the first time for many, they started factoring scarcity into their thinking. When they did a focus group online, Most people said they would buy less, they would give less, and it makes them less generous, okay? The third trend is this, the metaverse fever. Most of us heard the word when Facebook rebranded to meta, right? The metaverse is simply an intersection between the physical world and the digital world, right? It has transformed the online space from browsing to inhabiting. So we can buy digital land, we can buy digital buildings, we can buy avatars, and it's not about social media, not about gaming, but it's an escaping of the physical limits of our world into a virtual space that is an extension of life. And I see many confused spaces here. Don't worry, nobody in the world knows how it looks like. All we have are lots of questions. How am I going to be relevant? What's gonna look like? How can I make money from it? How can I grab the opportunity? What are the ethical issues? How can I protect my kids from this? Are we playing God too much by creating our own world? No one has the perfect answer, but what we know for sure is this. We are at the brink of a new frontier, and the world will look largely different, okay? Last friend. I call it information bankruptcy. For the past 20 years, we have been asking questions with the click of a button, right, Google. And this has caused us to ask a lot of questions. At the same time, we trust the information less and less. Be it experts, government, media, people start to trust it less. One good example is the COVID-19 vaccine. They have found out that people trust social media posts where their friends post about their symptoms more compared to scientific evidence or research-based data by the experts. Information bankruptcy is defined as a record low level of trust in all forms of information. Okay, so why did I tell you this? When you put all the trends together, it leads to a world that is increasingly uncertain increasingly unpredictable, increasingly self-centered, increasingly individualistic. And when it comes to a world like that, every one of us needs to decide where are we going to abide in? Abide is a word that we don't often use, but it has deep meanings. It doesn't just mean knowing. It doesn't just mean feeling. It means we live in that world. Whatever world we choose to abide in, whatever world we choose to live in, our world will be full of that thing. If today we look at our world and we choose to abide in fear, everywhere we go, we are afraid. Today someone sneezes, Omicron, but actually it's just dust. You go to your job, wow, I'm afraid I'm gonna lose my job anytime. All about fear. If you choose to abide in greed, everything, the only thing on your mind, how can I maximize these opportunities? Metaverse, how can I make money from it? People are individualistic, what can I sell to them? And it's scary if that's the only thing on your mind. If you choose to abide in ignorance, wow, these trends are not gonna affect me one lah, you're soon going to be obsolete. And if you choose to abide in conspiracies, everywhere you go, you will be a skeptic. Wow, I go to KFC. This is not a chicken. It's a genetically created being, four legs and four wings. You see the vaccine. It's not a vaccine. It's government's plan to track all of us. In our series, we want to answer this question. What does it look like when we choose to abide in God's word? And to do that, we're going to take a look at the book of John. The book of John is so perfect for a situation because just as we are going through a sea of change, they were going through lots of changes. Jerusalem had just been destroyed uh, and the Jews were scattered throughout the empire. So there was an increasing interaction between the Jews and the Gentiles. And just as I am trying to appeal to you to choose Jesus and to abide in his word, John was writing so that his audience can believe that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God. There's so many ways to look at the book of John. Uh, If you were with us a couple of years ago, we did this series called Beyond the Signs," where we look at the miracles in the book of John. You can look at the book of John with the seven great I am statements. Uh, Jesus said, I am the bread of life, I am the good shepherd, so on. You can look at the book of John through the seven greater than statements. Jesus said it was greater than the Sabbath, greater than Abraham, greater than Moses. In this series in particular, we are going to look at the book of John through the lens of looking at passages that reveals the aspects and impact of God's word, Okay. Our desire is that after this series, everyone will be able to walk away saying, I want to abide in God's word because it's so powerful, it's so relevant, and it's so transformative to my life. Okay? The passage I'm going to look at today is in John 1. And my topic is the word becoming flesh. In other words, Jesus becoming man. Okay? The first half of John 1 John 1 to John 18, it's just a phenomenal passage. If you know someone who has never read the Bible, or never heard of Jesus, this potentially is one passage he can read, because it's kinda like a summary of the whole Bible, and it's also an elevator pitch of why someone should choose Jesus. I do a lot of pitches for my company, and in a pitch, it usually contains three things. Number one, it contains our credentials, right? What have we done? Who we are? Uh, What are our achievements? It contains a value proposition. What can we offer to people? And it contains our heartbeat or intention. Why are we offering this? Okay? In John 1, John masterfully covers all these three aspects, and we are going to take a look at it. The first part, verse 1 to 5, it talks of uh, Jesus' credentials. John was writing credentials for Jesus, and let's read it, and I'll explain later. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him, not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. so many things to talk about in this passage. Did you notice the phrase, the word, is capitalized? This phrase, translated from the Greek word logos, appears 330 times in the New Testament. This is the only time it's capitalized. Because John was using it as a name for Jesus. So the question comes why did he use this name? We need to go back to 500 BC to answer this question, uh, to the time of a Greek philosopher called Heraclitus. Heraclitus was a revolutionary thinker, and some even call him the founder of science or the first genuine philosopher. Heraclitus he believed in asking questions about the universe. Everywhere he go he would ask questions. He see the weather changing, he ask why did it happen? What is the reason? He see birds being able to fly, what is the reason? He see life forms, what is the reason? And he called this the logos. The logos means the reason why to him. Okay? So when John says I uses this name for Jesus, uses the phrase Logos for Jesus. He's telling these Greek philosophers, you like to find the reason why for everything you see. This is the reason why for everything. And he highlights three characteristics of Jesus. First, he says, he was in the beginning. I don't know how many of you noticed this, if you like to go around looking for restaurants, many restaurants like to put uh, the, a year beside their name, right? You go to IY Mall, there's this fried chicken called J&G 1973, uh, there's a the famous chicken rice, Ippo 1977, Hot Dog 1901, and, and you name it. La. I think some of them fake, man. I just put that for fun only. But why they put it there? They're trying to say, my food has been around for a long time you can trust me. John says, you can trust this word. He was from the beginning. He was in the beginning. Secondly, he says the word was with God. He mentions Jesus as a separate individual. Being able to look face to face with God, okay, it's a different being. And thirdly, he leaves no doubt of his divinity. He says, the Word was God. I'm going to show you a paraphrased version uh, by one of our favorite Bible teachers. It's called David Pawson. And I hope you're able to appreciate this passage even more uh, after reading this paraphrase. At the first moment of his existence, the whole reason for our universe was already there and had been there from all eternity. Both the purpose and the pattern of it all were to be found in a person, someone who could look God in the face because he too was fully divine. From the start of what we call time, he was working alongside the Creator. It was through this partnership that everything else came into being. In fact, not one thing was made without his personal involvement. Even life itself originated in him and his own life sheds light on the meaning of life for every member of the human race. His light goes on shining through all the gloom of human history because no amount of darkness can ever extinguish it. Wow, those are some credentials. If John was giving a pitch, my next question would be, what is he selling? What is he going to offer me? And in the next part, we see him clearly stating uh, the value proposition or, or what Jesus is offering to us. It says here, the true light gives light to everyone, was coming into the world, he was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. Again, there's a lot of things to talk about. The first thing I want to highlight is this brilliant phrase, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's so brilliant because John used the same phrase to mean two different things to two different group of audiences. The Greeks at that time, they thought of God too low. Okay, they were not from unfamiliar with the concept of God among men because their gods were merely superhumans, right? Who can run really fast, super strength, really strong, can control the sea, And they were full of corrective flaws, they were not perfect. So the Greeks thought of God too low. And John was writing to them, hey, this God that I'm talking about, he's not your God who can just throw lightning or shoot an arrow and make someone fall in love. He is the Logos, the reason why everything exists. At the same time, the Jews, they thought of God too high. They had a hard time believing that this God, who was revealed in the Old Testament, would come down and reside among them. And John was writing to them, Hey, he became flesh and dwelt among us. Many times we fall into either of these traps. Sometimes we think God is too low. Wow, our problem is so big, even God can't solve it for us. Sometimes we think God is too high. Yes, he can but why would he do it for me? I'm just a human. And John uses this perfect phrase. The closest way to illustrate the relationship between God and man. Relationship between a parent and a child. And he says here, he gave us the right to become children of God. This is so brilliant because every time we see the privileges of a child, it gives us a glimpse of our privileges as children of God. My greatest encounter uh, as as having the privileges of a child, and I told this story many times, was one week after I got my driving license. I took my my mom's car to drive around in the Taman and I was taking a right turn without putting the signal. So a motorbike crashed into uh, the side of my car. I turned back. I saw the guy lying on the floor. He was still moving. I drove away. The guy got up, and his friends, 20 over of them, on on motorcycles, mud ramparts, chased after me and surrounded my whole car. So obviously, I didn't know what to do, and they even took my car key, and I called my mom. My mom came, and... One woman, a 20-over men, I could still remember the scene, and she paid them off, and she walked me back home. She didn't mention about the car. Uh, she just wanted to know if I'm okay. Every time I recall this story, I, of course, I appreciate my mom. It also gives me a glimpse of how God thinks of me. Just as I could drive my mom's car, I have access to God's resources as his child. Just as my mom protected me, God will protect me. Just as my mom redeemed me, God has redeemed me. Every time you see the privilege of a child, remember that that is your privilege if you choose to become children of God. And that is John's value proposition. Lastly, the last part covers God's heartbeat, okay? His intention. And it says here, from His fullness, we have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. Jesus has made God known to us. And this is something very important. I have a friend who has a secret admirer. Okay, so one day, she received a gift uh, from a food panda delivery driver. It's a Baskin Robbins ice cream. The problem is, there's no sender, there's no message, and no matter how much this guy loves or likes the girl, he has no chance to get the girl because he did not make his love known. Okay, So guys, you want to chase the girl, you want to stand a chance, at least make yourself known. God is not like that. He's not a secret admirer hiding in a corner, hiding up in heaven. He wants to make himself known. He wants to make his love known. I saw this sermon online from Kingdom City. It's a brilliant sermon where the pastor looked at the Bible chronologically and broke down how God made himself known progressively throughout the Bible. And he started in the time of Abraham. Abraham lived in this place called Ur of the Chaldees. It's an ancient Sumerian civilization. The people at that time, they were largely farmers, so they planted crops. And to them, the most important thing is rain, right? If not, the crops cannot be fertile. So they thought God is in the sky who will send the rain, and they needed to please God. Now, that's a big problem. There's no scripture, they don't know how else to please God, so what do they do? When you don't know something, you make it up. So one guy said, I think if we cut ourselves, if we mutilate ourselves, if we injure ourselves, it will please the gods, and they will send rain. Now there's a problem with this statement, because how many times do you need to cut? Where should you cut? And they coined a phrase, you cut till it rains. Another day, a guy stood up and said, I think if we sacrifice our children, it's going to please the gods. And they started doing that. So when Abraham received God's commandment to sacrifice Isaac, it wasn't just that he was obedient. Well, he was, but it's also, it did not come as a surprise to him he would be like, oh, so what we have been doing is right after all. What happened after that? He brought his son up the mountain, and instead of sacrificing his child, there was a ram ready for him uh, to sacrifice. On that day, God revealed himself. God made himself known to Abraham. Part of it, Abraham knew that, hey, I no longer need to sacrifice children. God is not a cruel God. I can sacrifice animals instead. Fast forward 500 years to the time of Moses. Moses grew up uh, in Pharaoh's house. To the Egyptians, the God was the sun. The sun god Ra. How did God appear to Moses? A burning bush, right? God was saying to Moses, you think I'm the sun, you think I'm a ball of fire, I'll appear to you as fire. Moses went on to write this book called Leviticus. And it's the kindest book ever written up to that point. Today we read it, wow, so many rituals, so many traditions, so many laws. What was the problem that I mentioned just now? People didn't know how to please God. With Leviticus, now they knew. On the eighth day, I need to go to circumcise. On I did this sin, what animal I need to sacrifice. Exactly. God revealed, God made known to them, hey, it's not about the animals. It's about obedience. Fast forward to the time of Jesus. There's a man called Zacchaeus who's a chief tax collector. Everyone dislikes him because he goes around collecting money. Zacchaeus had a big problem. At that time, the only way to get saved is to perform the temple rituals, the stuff that I talked about just now. As a tax collector, he wasn't allowed to enter uh, the temple. So there's no way for him to get saved. What happened to Zacchaeus? Jesus went to his house and told him, Today, your household is safe. He revealed more of himself to him. It's not about the rituals. Fast forward to the time of the apostles, post-Jesus. Another significant truth was revealed, and this is my concluding thought. Six different occasions by four different authors. It mentions that Jesus did not merely die or sacrifice on the cross on the day of Calvary. He was chosen in the beginning. The clearest is in 1 Peter 20, here's 120. It says, He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Now this is super significant, I, and I want you to follow me. This statement is saying it's not like the world was in a mess and they had no choice, and God sent Jesus to become the solution. It's saying, before there was a mess, God already had the solution. Why is this crucial? Because without this truth, the gospel goes like that. God created the world, but even though he's God, he could not foresee human rebellion. And when human rebelled, it came as a shock to him, and he had to crack his brain to come up with a solution, and the only solution he could have is to send his son on a suicide mission But even so, it's largely unsuccessful because many people are going to spend eternity in hell. Without this statement, the gospel goes like that. If that's the gospel, I'm going to walk down the stage and walk out right now. This is not the gospel. The true gospel goes like this. God created the world, and because He was God, He could foresee human rebellion, but it did not stop him from creating or destroying his creation. But instead, he loved them so much that he came out with a solution since the beginning of time. But his creation would not believe in it. And he had to show them over and over and over again how much he loved them, which ultimately manifested in the life and death of Jesus Christ. God's heartbeat is to make himself known. I hope you get my message here. I know it's not the most structured. I'm appealing to you to choose to abide in God's word because number one, it's extremely credible. He was since the beginning, he's the reason why. Number two, it's an unbeatable value proposition. He allows us to become children of God. He gives us the privilege. Number three, his heartbeat is to make his love known to all of us. I wanna end by giving you a practical way of how you can abide in his word. And I'm not saying it's the only way, but this is one way that worked for me. Since 2017, every year, in the first week, I have chosen a passage that I hold on to for the rest of the year. Rain or sun, I'll go back uh, to the passage. And when I look back, each passage was so fundamental to my development as a person. In 2017, my ex-girlfriend got married here. Looking back, I don't know why I was so emotional, but at that point, it was a tough pill for me to swallow. Uh, Maybe I was immature, I was insecure, you name it. At that point, it was difficult for me to be in church and I started to visit another church. It was this first that reminded me. God test me and know my anxious thoughts. It's my offensive ways. It stopped me from blaming people, being upset, escaping, but work on my character. 2018, I left KL and I went back to Kedah to work on a project with my family. When I was there, I had a group of young entrepreneurs' friends, young entrepreneur friends. Every one of them was convincing me, hey, stay back lah, work on a family business, easy life, you stay at home, your mom cook for you, you wash, she washes your clothes, I got made. So easy. Why do you want to go back there? Pay rent or so, like suffering ready. I was seriously considering. It was this verse in Psalms 119. I'm not going to make decisions based on what is convenient. But what allows me to perform his statutes? 2019, it was a year of transition. I worked as a freelancer. I was transitioning from leading the teens, 100 teens, to leading four working adults. My life group only had four people. It was a big shift. I had no leaders with me. I just bought a property. A freelancer, no stable income. Psalm 77 gave me the peace. It told me to remember the times that God was faithful to me, remember His deeds, remember His miracles, and it pulled me through. 2020, my career started to pick up. Out of my 20, 30 colleagues, I was the one person chosen to join the consulting team. My income tripled in that year. It was this verse that kept me humble, reminded me I have to abide in Him to be able to bear fruit. 2021, I didn't do lah, give chance, okay. 2022, this year, I have chosen this verse, Psalms 90. Young adults have grown tremendously over the past two years. And we're going to start many initiatives. We're going to do many things. And I know there are going to be people who's going to be burnt out. When that happens, I'll cling on to this verse. It's God that establishes our work. There are people who are going to be offended at me, dislike me. I'm not going to be popular. Maybe, I don't know. I'm going to hold on to this verse. God is the one that established. We're going to do events and only two people show up. I'm going to hold on to this verse. God will establish. Today sitting here, I know you carry a different package of life. Some of you have more difficult lives to live, more heavy loads to carry. I want to tell you that God is bigger, wider, deeper than anything you can imagine. The Word is ever so powerful, relevant, and transformative. It is the best place that we can abide in. Let me pray for all of us. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You became flesh so we can see and feel Your love for us. Yes, the the world is chaotic. Yes, there's self-centeredness, but You have told us uh, to live in communities. Yes, there's scarcity, but You have told us to be generous. Yes, people don't trust things. There's a lack of trust in truth, but Your truth is eternal. God, we abide in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.